I was thinking a lot about the new year and, and kind of how interesting it is. Like, the new year is kind of a, a time that we kind of come, we become painfully aware of like who we are not, where we are not, and what we want to do differently, right? So it's kind of a time in which you are kind of reflecting on the last year, 2017, and all the stuff that you were not so stoked about, right? And all the stuff that like, you, you maybe want to change, right? You're looking forward to the future, right? It's a time for reflection, glancing back and looking at, like I said, some of the stuff that you want to change, but also maybe optimistically looking towards the future to develop maybe new aspirations or new dreams or new goals or, or things that you want to do. January 1st, when you really think about it, it's kind of like a time um, where we start to think about what does it look like to better ourselves? And we don't really know entirely what that means. Normally it boils down to we need to lose like six pounds or something, right? And that's, gonna, that's the thing that's going to make us a better person or whatever it is. But the result is, is that churches and gyms and, and vitamin shops, they do booming business kind of this time of the year, right? And this week I was kind of asking myself this question over the last few weeks. Why is that? Like why, why January 1st are we all like focused on like making ourselves better or whatever it is? And I think kind of, as I was reflecting on it, ingrained in the human soul is really kind of this desire for more. I mean, think about the stories that you enjoy most, or the ones, like the movies that you most enjoy, or, or the, the stories that you most desire to hear, or whatever it is. Um, someone coming out of the ashes uh, to do something incredible, right? Or someone achieving their dreams, or finding su- success in spite of all the things going against them, and all the people saying that they couldn't do it, or whatever it is. See, they're all stories of more, and January 1st, or the new year, really kind of like programs us or, or, or makes us, motivates us to want to be more, to focus on more, to look f- to the future, and in some ways, like I said, judge the past. And I think that's a really good thing, actually. I, I really do. Analyzing or introspectively kind of looking at the past to see some of the things that you want to change, to make judgment calls on some certain decisions that you made in the previous year, and how you're going to continue some habits or destroy other habits. And I think we've all been there because we've all made judgment calls before, right? Like maybe it's with a food choice for the new year, right? Like you wrote down, like, I am no longer eating Cheetos at midnight or whatever it is, right? Or, uh, or you're going to try that new hairstyle or whatever, or that new outfit you're going for this new year or whatever it is. Or, or how frequent you're going to go to the gym this year, right? Until the second week of February or whatever. I remember as a kid, I made just a terrible, like as I was thinking about this was last week, like, the story came to mind, a pretty terrible judgment call. Um, and it affected my sister's life pretty dramatically for a while. Um, one morning, uh, I think we were like two, um, and, and I was messing with my sister and she grabbed like my toy car or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. And I remember being super irritated because it's mine, right? That's like the first word that I learned, right? Mine. And especially because I have a twin, so everything was mine. And, uh, <laughs> and so like we're arguing back and forth in baby language or whatever, and, and she's not giving it to me, right? So I glance right over her shoulder and I just, rem- I just see the dirt devil. Right, like my mom was like just like just like earlier cleaning up all our mess or whatever it was, and I had to make a judgment call. How am I going to get back my toy car? And immediately what popped in my mind is I'm going to grab the dirt devil, right? Because I was an evil little kid, I, I grab it, I pick it up, and I literally just turn it on and suck up my sister's hair, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and to this very, she hates when I share this story because I always make her show the bald spot. To this very day. If you know my sister, do not tell her I told you this. <laughs> uh, she, she has just a bald spot in the dead center of her head. Just, she has to come on over. Bummer, right? <laughs> so I made a judgment call, right? Obviously, obviously the wrong judgment call. But the truth is, I think we make judgment calls all of the time in all different areas of our lives. Think about it, right? We make judgment calls with our relationships. You make judgment calls with your money, with your interest, with your time, things like that. Like, um, should I eat Taco Bell tonight? 
right? Should I ever, ever go to Taco Bell again, right? And risk getting food poisoning. By the way, uh, so last week, <laughs> if you were here last week, you probably heard Cody talk about this. I had like leftover fish or something like that, which I guess is a no-no. I found out the hard way. And literally like, it's like 7.15, like last week, I was going to give this message. And, and literally, I, I like, I'm, and I'm like getting super nauseous. I'm like pacing around the warehouse. I go into the back and I just start throwing up. And I call Cody. I was like, Cody, like you got 10 minutes to figure out what you're going to talk about. Because I'm throwing up at the side of the warehouse. He's like, Cool, don't ever do this to me again, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> judgment calls, right? Don't eat salmon. It's a few days old, right? But maybe an- another uh, judgment call that you made is like, uh, should I click keep watching on Netflix till 2 a.m., right? Or on the, on the week of finals or whatever. Or should I swipe left or right, right? These are the decisions I know, I know that keep you up at night. Now, some decisions are meaningless or they're silly, right? But some, some decisions are, are difficult or, or they're real or they're far more important, right? Like, should I date this person? right? Or not? Should I not date this person? Or should I study this in college? And then my freshman year, like, switch it four times, right? Or should I, uh, should I take this career path or that one? See, I think we're constantly making decisions based on what we see or what we think or what we feel, even if we aren't totally aware of it. Some of those judgment calls are more meaningful than others, but really, regardless of the option, what we're really always deciding is this, which option is better? And I think it's just a part of life. And maybe it's because we are so used to making these judgment calls in every area of our lives that the tendency to judge kind of leaks into our relationships too. And I think that's where things get a little bit complicated, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Because instead of thinking about really what options are better, we really start to wrestle with this, what people are better. And this thing, that makes things really tricky. Because instead of thinking about, we start really judging people. You start really thinking like, who who are better people? And what does that mean? And you start making all these these judgment calls on people. And like I said, I think that makes things really tricky, and even though we're not really proud of it, we really think that it's just a part of life and really can't help but feel that we judge people. In fact, when we think we make judgment calls about people, about some people being terrible people and some people being good people or whatever it is, we think it's obvious. We think everyone thinks this about these types of people, so whatever, right? In fact, maybe, maybe, maybe these are some of the judgment calls you make, right? If you come to church regularly, it's easy to think that you're better than the people who don't. At least when I started coming here, like years and years ago, I was like, I'm a better person because I come to Sunday nights every single Sunday or whatever it is. Or, or if you don't come to church regularly, you're tempted to think that you're better than all the hypocrites who do come to church regularly, right? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you are constantly comparing where you're at to where you think you should be. Right? You should be closer to graduation already. Like, oh my gosh, right? Or you should, uh, you should be better established at work, right? You're 25. You should be making at least a million a year by now, right? Or you're 29 and, and, and you're not married yet. Like, you should be further along in that relationship. See, we are constantly comparing ourselves against what we see others doing at this time in life or at this life stage. And we either feel, one, better about ourselves, or two, we feel terrible about ourselves. And it's based solely on comparison and nothing else. I think we can go on and on and on and on about really what, we all have opinions, I think, about really what the best types of people are. And luckily for us, we normally land on the conclusion that we're the best type of people. And the thing is, I think as good as judging (laughs) feels sometimes, we know there's another side to it. And there's a side that doesn't feel so good. That's when you're on the receiving end of being judged. And none of us like to be judged because nothing about that experience feels good. In fact, when I was a kid, I got in my very first fist fight because someone judged me, right? I was at the park, I think it was nine, um, at the Boys and Girls Club, my, that's where my parents lived, and um, I walked over to the park, walked over to the park, and at the Boys and Girls Club, they were playing bowling. So I walked over, I was like, hey, can I play bowling with you guys? And they were like, yeah, sure, whatever. But this one kid, Timothy, this one kid, Timothy, <laughs> Timothy, uh, so <laughs> we're, we're playing at whatever it is, and out of nowhere, Timothy goes, I don't like you, because I think I was better than him or something, which, anyways, um, and he comes over to me, he spits in my face, grabs some sand, and chucks it in my face. So what did I do? 
I had to make a judgment call. I picked up the pin and smacked him over the head, right? And he goes falling down. Have you ever seen those like UFC knockouts, right? Where the, like people's arms are just like frozen, like, ah, right? And I'm, I'm such an angry kid that like I just black out. I pick up the bowling pin again and I go for round two, right? And out of nowhere, thank God, thank God this happened when I look back on it, but out of nowhere, this soccer mom just comes bolting out of her van, just clocks me at the side. Boom, I'm on the ground gasping for my life, right? I get back up. I'm like arguing with the mom. Like, what the heck? Like a 45-year-old woman. Like, what are you? I'm nine. What are you doing, right? When I guess this was her kid, and I'm like, she's like, you're a terrible kid. I was like, your kid spit on my face. Anyways, so I'm like arguing with her and like yelling as I'm walking back to my house, whatever. It's obviously, obviously I was an angry kid. But anyways, no one likes really to like be judged, right? We hate that feeling. No one likes the feeling of being looked down upon or, or, or whatever it is. We hate it. We hate the feeling of being devalued or being less than or being not good enough. And judging is easy. If I've learned anything, it's like we all have PhDs in it right? It's immediate. Like, we, we learn it. Like the, it's super easy. We become really, really good at it. It takes no effort at all, and I think we find ourselves even doing it without even realizing it. And I think God knew that we would have this tendency. So I think he, he made it very specific, or he, he made sure to address this issue very clearly in Scripture. And I think if we spend some time with the story that we're going to be kind of journeying uh, through today, um, I think it has the potential to change our entire way of thinking when it comes to judging. So we kind of set the story for you or paint the picture. If you're new to church, um, today we're jumping in the book of John, and, and John is called the go- one of the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and all of the Gospels are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life. They're the historical accounts of Jesus's, mostly Jesus's three years of ministry here on earth, from 30 to 33, from, from things like um, from his ascension in heaven, from him being crucified, from him um, obviously resurrecting, and things along those lines. They're the teachings of, of Jesus. Now today, like, we're going to jump into John chapter 8, and, and it starts with kind of Jesus hanging out at the temple. And as he was at the temple, he was talking, and a group of people started to come around him. He was a rabbi. He was a, he was a Jewish teacher. And kind of in this gathering, in the middle of it, he gets interrupted by a group of the Pharisees. Now, that's an interesting word or group of people. If you don't know what that is, they're, they're like the top tier of the religious society or class. Like, I guess an equivalent or at least a way for you to make sense of it is like, think of like the Pope and, and those that surround the Pope, right? So they're, they're the top tier of the religious society and things along those lines. Um, and that's who the Pharisees are. Now, these guys, like I said, were, 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 were really interesting. So they obeyed all of the rules. They, they did everything right. And because they thought they were so perfect. They're such good people. They took it upon themselves to point out all of the shortcomings in other people, right? And immediately there's people in your mind that are popping up because you know somebody like that, right? You know somebody thinks they're so good or whatever it is, and they're constantly judging you, thinking they're so much better than you, and they're pointing out all of the shortcomings in your life. In fact, you've probably done this before, right? Your mom or dad's yelling at you, and you're saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as... And you, you, you put your sister or whoever it is, right? Like, or whoever the person is or whatever it is. Now, what's interesting about the Pharisees, they were the best at judging. In fact, they were like slightly obsessed with Jesus because they spent literally three years wandering around with him, like following him, waiting for him to mess up so they could judge him and make themselves look good in light of that. Now, what I find super interesting about this is they literally walked with Jesus. They would have followed Jesus around for like three years, and they would have seen Jesus do some incredible things. They would have heard the stuff that Jesus taught. They would have seen the miracles that Jesus did and stuff like that, healing people and stuff like that. And they spent so much time judging Jesus that they had no idea who Jesus really was. And I find that really interesting. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for us. It's, it's found in John chapter 8, and I think it'll be up behind me. I'm not entirely sure, but um, follow along. It says this. So while Jesus is in the middle of teaching, these guys, the Pharisees, walk up to him in front of everyone. They have a woman with them, John writes. As he was speaking, the teacher in religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, let me kind of 
pump the brakes real quick. This is a big deal on like a lot of levels. For one, imagine the embarrassment and shame that this woman like would have felt. In fact, some scholars believe that she was literally like caught in the act of adultery and dragged in front of the town, like let's call it the town hall, like literally naked. And now these people are huddling around here and they're about to like, like judge her essentially. Now, what's also interesting here is maybe something that, that we don't know is, is everyone in this audience, the, per, the girl, Jesus, and the Pharisees would have known that this crime was punishable by death. That adultery was a crime punishable by death. In fact, in, in fact, they, they do this in, in a way to remind Jesus of this. And, and, and they say something really interesting in verse 4 and 5. They say, teacher, they said to Jesus, the woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, I want you to like, I want you to take a time machine back to when you were like 12 and you were arguing with your parents or something like that. And I want you to hear how the Pharisees are saying it in the same way that you did when you were 12, when you were a teenager or something like that. They're, they're saying it like this. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say, almighty teacher? So really what they're doing is they're, they're trying to like make Jesus make them look good and this woman look bad. They're not really looking for Jesus' opinion. They don't really care about Jesus' opinion. They want to impress the crowd. They want Jesus to make them look good and to make her look bad. And they're wondering if Jesus is going to validate their judgment call about this woman. Will Jesus treat this woman the way that every religious person thinks that he should? Will he make the judgment call the law says that he should? So you can imagine that, that everyone's kind of holding their breath at this moment, right? Especially this woman that's in the middle of the crowd, right? And everyone's kind of watching the showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees. And what's really interesting is Jesus doesn't even give them an answer. In the beginning, he just kind of stoops down, and some scholars say that he was writing in the sand, and he was writing the sins of the people that were judging him. I can imagine he's like lust and like drawing arrows like the Pharisees or whatever it is, right? He's, he's writing, literally, some scholars believe the sins of the people that were judging, the people that were about to pick up stones and chuck it at this woman, because uh, adultery was a crime uh, punishable by death by stoning. And this isn't obviously a satisfying enough answer, so they say this. They keep demanding an answer. It says, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote back in the dust. In other words, if your record is spotless, if, if your conscience is clear, if, you're, if you've never done anything wrong ever, then go ahead, step up. In fact, I'll hand you the very first stone. You can start delivering the verdict you think this woman deserves. But who wants to go first? Verse 9 and 10, it says, When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? See, what Jesus knew in one of these teachers and, and religious guys to know is this, that everyone is guilty of sin. We like to think that our sin is not as bad as, as other people's sin. That the, and the Pharisees thought that this woman's sin was worse than their sin, that her stuff was worse than their stuff. But Jesus puts everyone in the same category. He says that we're all sinners, that we're no better. And if you pick up a stone in judgment upon somebody, you, you're just a hypocrite. In the story from Scripture, it doesn't take long for the woman to notice that no one's around her that no one around her is condemning her. I want you, to, I want you to, to, to click pause on that for a second, that no one around her is condemning her, but Jesus is the one still with her. Jesus says something I think so powerful in verse 11. And Jesus said, neither do I, go and sin no more. Jesus, the only person in history that was perfect, that was the person that literally could have picked up a rock and thrown it at her head and killed her, offers her forgiveness. So you're asking, okay, why are we talking about this towards the beginning of the new year? Well, two reasons. Number one, I believe this applies to everybody. I believe that there are people in your life that you judge, and you judge constantly. Every time you judge, you place yourself on the throne of God. 
and make yourself the only being in all creation that can judge. And that's a sin. That's called idolatry. Because you're establishing an authority that is not your own. Now you're asking, okay, please don't misinterpret what I'm trying to say. That does not mean that we don't be truth tellers. Because to be a truth teller means that you do what love commands us to do. It means that before you make any judgment upon any person, you ask yourself this question. Will this bring them to a right standing before God? If you, if you want a definition of love, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's this. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person to bring that person to a right standing before God. That is what love is. The outcome of, our, of you and I loving each other, you and I loving other people is to bring them to a right standing before God. That is what love is. And, that, and, and anything that makes that its outcome, that is what love is. The second reason I want to talk about this tonight is this. I'm sure that there is someone in your life that has crossed you. They've said something, they've done something, and it's hurt you. And it's caused you to judge them. But in doing so, you begin to harbor this, this poison called bitterness. I found that the people who we are most likely to judge are those who have hurt us in some type of way. Bitterness, it's like a cancer. And I've had to learn this the hard way. It's like a cancer. It eats upon its host until it, it slowly kills it. See, see, bitterness is believing God got it wrong and he cannot get it right. You know, as I was, I was this last week, um, I was supposed to give this sermon last Sunday, and I, and I got food poisoning randomly. God always has a, a really interesting way of applying what I'm teaching uh, to me. As I was writing the sermon a, a few weeks ago, I was reminded of an experience that I had um, actually today, um, three years ago. I, I've shared my story before, but there's a part of my story that I've never shared, and it's because I'm, I'm like really embarrassed apart, like really embarrassed that this was my reaction at this moment in my life, and, and, and I'm really embarrassed to share this part. In January 12, 2015, I woke up like any other day to a day that wasn't like any other day. My dad um, was internally bleeding all night, and none of us knew what was going on, and he didn't let any of us know that he was throwing up blood all night. That morning, I, I woke up, and, and I heard my mom yelling that we have to take your dad to the hospital. We have to take your dad to the hospital. So I was like, you know, what's going on? So, so I, I'm like, she's like, he says, he says he's dying. And I'm like, like what? Like, so I, I run into his room, and when I get into his room, he, he's just pale. I've never seen him like this. And I, I go up under him, pick him up, and I'm like, Dad, what's going on? I'm like, really, really concerned. And, and he says that he had too much to drink last night. Now, for those of you who know my story, you know that my, my dad was an alcoholic. I got so much rage that just went through, through my, my body at that moment. Like, I, was, I just had memories flooded through my mind of him, like, picking me up from, like, my practices at school, like, drunk and embarrassing me, like, you know, in front of, like, my coach and, and everyone else. So I had memories of him embarrassing me in front of my friends because he was drunk all the time. I have, I have one memory that comes to mind where I was skating home from school, I'm sorry, from a friend's house, like, later at night, and him in the, the driveway passed out in his car with a bottle of whiskey and a gun in his hand, just passed out in the driver's seat of his car with his car on. I had all these memories just flood through my mind, and I was just so angry. And he said, I had alcohol poisoning last night. I need to get to the hospital where I'm going to die. And my reaction at that moment, I looked at him right in his eye, and he knew I meant this. I said, then die. My mom comes in around that moment and, and says, we need to take him to the hospital. So I, I, I angrily pick him up, help him get his clothes on. I just aggressively take him down the hall. My mom kind of swings the car around, and, and, and I bring him out to the front yard. And I throw him in the front seat of the car, and he looks up at me and says, can you help me put my seatbelt on? I looked at him, I said, figure it out, and I slammed the door. And that was the very last time that I got to see my dad. In fact, he passed away today, three years ago. 
honestly, it, it's taken me a really, really long time to forgive him and to forgive myself. I've learned the hard way that our greatest barrier to forgiveness is ourselves. Please don't think that I speak from authority on this. I, I'm learning. See, when we don't truly understand what we've been forgiven for, it, it hinders you and I from being people who forgive. See, I think there is a freedom in being a person that doesn't judge and someone who forgives. That freedom is not allowing comparison and bitterness to rob you and I from peace. See, bitterness is a poison that will rot you from the inside out. It'll make you become dark and dead. 2,000 years ago has passed since the story in John. But you and I still have a tendency to carry around some rocks. You and I will use gossip, sarcastic comments, indirect tweets, eye rolls, disapproving conversations as our rocks. And they're all intended to make other people look bad and to make you and I look good. But if Jesus is right, and I believe that he is, we're all guilty. We're all disqualified from this judging game. None of us have a right to throw a stone and you and I look silly even trying. So in light of our own faults and Jesus' perfection, you and I have to learn to drop the rock. And believe me, I'm learning it the hard way. I have a memory at 12.30 today, three years ago, um, p.m. And this is like the most painful memory for me of us surrounding my dad's bed and the doctor comes in and, and, and offers us an ultimatum. He says that your dad um, has slipped into a coma and uh, he, he has no brain activity anymore. Um, he's not there anymore. The doctor said, well, what do you guys want to do? You have two options. You can continue to keep him on life support and life support, the equipment is pretty good. It'll keep him in this state for a very long time, but he's not there anymore. Or you can begin to turn off the machines that are keeping him alive. My mom looked at me and said, what do you want to do? The most challenging thing for me was to look at the doctor and say, through a lot of prayer, and say, you can begin to turn off the machines. It was challenging for a few reasons. Number one, I was hoping and praying that those were not going to be the last words that I said to my dad. The last words I wasn't going to say to my dad were going to be in anger. I wanted him to wake up just for a moment and say, Dad, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? And he never did wake up, and he passed away at 111 today. Like I said, I've learned the hard way that you and I look silly judging. When you and I hold bitterness in our heart, it's a poison that slowly kills you and I. And I'm willing to bet there are people in your lives you hold anger towards. It could be a parent. It could be someone even passed away, like in my, in my situation, in my case. So you and I have to stop pretending that we have the right to judge. We have to be people of, uh, of forgiveness. And you're asking, okay, how do I do that? Well, let, me, let me quickly offer maybe one solution. This is one that's helped me. Stop measuring the sin and deciding which one is worse. Gossip is no better than premarital sex. Premarital sex is no better than stealing. And stealing in God's economy is no better than murder. There's no ranking order for our sin in God's eyes. All that it means is it's all, we are all impure and we all need Jesus. The first step to learning to be someone that doesn't judge and someone who forgives is to understand that it's to stop measuring sin. As we end tonight, I want you to think about the one person you've had a rock aim towards. One person you must be most tempted to judge. And in your mind, I want you to drop the rock. I believe God has an incredible future for all of us. But we cannot step into the future that 2018 has for us by being held back by chains of judgment and bitterness from our past. To step into the future God has for you, 
You need to break the chains of judgment and learn the freedom of forgiveness. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, God, that you are a God who offers us forgiveness. Father, I don't know every story of every person in this room, but Lord, I'm willing to bet, God, there's some people in this room that are harboring a lot of bitterness. And in doing so, they're robbing themselves of peace. Father, I pray, God, that you, you, you give them courage and strength, God, to, for, to be forgiving people. As we examine the cross, we understand, God, that you are forgiving, and we thank you, Lord, for that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.